Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Welcome to The Broad Experience, the show about women, the workplace, and success. I'm Ashley Milne-Tite. This time on the show, more women than ever are starting their own businesses. Stepping outside of your comfort zone is really, really hard. I did not want to raise venture capital at all, but I did want to have a big, successful business. I got to the place where I realized I'm going to have to go pitch to all those guys in suits. And how much of our success comes down to how we were raised? One of these days, Mark Zuckerberg is going to hit me. But I 100% believe that if I grew up in a household where I was told to do what I was good at and, and go after my talents, I would have created Facebook or something even better than that. Coming up. But first, a word from our sponsor. This episode of The Broad Experience is brought to you by Foreign Affairs Magazine, your resource for authoritative analysis on important global issues and events. Listeners to my show might particularly enjoy 10 Days to a Better Feminist Movement. It's an article that recently ran on their website, and it makes the case for what Americans can learn from Sweden's Feminist Initiative Party. Foreign Affairs is offering me a special low rate for my listeners, only $19.99 for an entire year. Subscribers also get an exciting new product audio editions created in a partnership with Audible.com. You can listen to the latest issue online or on the go by downloading it or streaming it directly from their website. To take advantage of their offer, go to foreignaffairs.com slash broad. One of the first episodes of this show I ever did was about the hype, or what I saw as the hype, around female entrepreneurship. Here in the US, it seemed you couldn't click on a link without finding another article about the number of women starting their own businesses. Well, more than two years later, not much has changed. Women are indeed becoming entrepreneurs in droves, and not just in America. But their companies still bring in far less money than men's. A tiny minority of women's firms make more than a million dollars in revenue per year. That's a big benchmark the business world uses. My first guest, Julia Pimsler, is someone who's passed that benchmark. I am the CEO and founder of Little Pim, language teaching for young children. Like a lot of people, Julia got the idea for her company from real life. She grew up bilingual in French and English. And when she had her first son 10 years ago, she wanted to make sure he was bilingual too but there was nothing on the market to help her with that, so she invented the product. Now, before she started this company, Julia had run two other businesses, but they've been very creative. She made documentaries with a social message. She connected media makers and activists. But I had never run a company where the idea was to make a profit. Before, I had made films, I had raised money, I had done all kinds of things where the measurable impact was moving people's minds and hearts. Now, this was about the bottom line, the top line, making sure we're growing revenues, and that was very new and different. She had to switch from thinking of herself as a creative person 
to thinking of herself as a business person running a company with a creative idea. And that was a big leap for her, but it wasn't the only one. She had a bit of a chip on her shoulder about not having been to business school. She kept wondering about all those skills she must be lacking. But after going on a course at Harvard, she realised she had most of them. She just needed to fill in the gaps. So she took on advisors, she appointed a board of directors, and she raised money to hire a salesperson. I've heard that before, this discussion that obviously you need people around you who do the things that you aren't your natural strengths. And I think, I don't know what you think about this, but that I think particularly with women, a lot of us tend to want to try to do everything on our own and cover everything like an octopus. Absolutely. Oh my goodness. Not being able to delegate is probably the Achilles heel of all women everywhere, not just entrepreneurs. But in entrepreneurship, that's especially limiting because you really can't do everything yourself. If you want to grow your business, you have to be willing to let go a little bit. And it's very painful because part of why we want to be entrepreneurs is often we have a high standard. We want to create something very, very high quality. You want to have a personal touch and everything that goes out the door. But at a certain point, that becomes becomes impossible. And I sort of came up with this um, 80% rule, which was I thought if if I can hire someone who can do something 80% as well as I'd like it done, then that's a win. And the little 20% I've given up is worth it because I just got back all of this time to be able to do other things. And one of the things she did was join a professional organization called the Entrepreneurs Organization, or EO. It's a prestigious group, and she was excited to join the club and learn from other successful entrepreneurs. But she soon found out only 12% of the group was women. And at her first meeting there, and this was just a few years ago, she watched a slideshow. And there on the slides, some of the male members of EO were sitting around with Playboy bunnies on their laps. So right away, I could feel that this was a culture where, you know, the the history had been a boys club. Now, I went to Yale, founded in 1701, and only admitted women in 1969. So I'd had a little bit of practice at being at a place that was really defined by a very sort of patriarchal culture. Um, Just as a funny anecdote, I'll always remember my first week at Yale when they invited us into this big, you know, uh, venerated room with high ceilings and gothic structures and on the walls were probably about 30 framed paintings of these men with white hair and you know their gowns from the 1700s and they the the master of our college who's called the master the master sort of swept his arm in this grand gesture master winks and he said these are your forefathers and i just remember thinking Those guys have nothing to do with me or my experience. Here I am, I'm 20 years old. I guess I was 18 at the time. I'm on, you know, practically full scholarship at Yale. I've been working my butt off to get here. This is not anything that I can relate to, is these guys on the wall, and I'm going to have my own experience. So I think of that moment often because, you know, the master winks of the world, they really do mean well, and they're trying to give you this context, this sweeping context of history. But, you know, as women, we're, we're pioneers. We're still pioneers. She certainly felt like one at EO. She says the culture there is getting much more women-friendly, and she has been instrumental in that. Within a couple of years of that first inauspicious meeting, she was a member of the board, and the organisation flew her to Greece for a conference of EO members from all over the world. And I showed up just feeling you know, the most empowered one could possibly feel. Here I had, you know, gotten to the heights of the organization. I was there for this global leadership conference, sat down in the third row, ready to learn. 
And much to my dismay, the MC who got up, who was a member of EO from a different chapter in a different part of the world, made, you know, not one, not two, but sort of three back-to-back -back sexist comments. You know, it was everything from, oh, ladies, you know, there's a guy here who runs a really successful retail company. So if you want to do some shopping, you should go talk to him. And then it was jokes about, you know, which of us was going to want to date him. And then it was jokes about, you know, the women in Greece and how beautiful they are. And I just thought, I, w I went from the, the heights of leadership to just feeling so deflated in such a short amount of time, you know, sitting there in the third row and just thought, this is not okay. She fumed through the rest of the speech. Later on, she sought that guy out and she said something. And uh, he was very receptive to my comments. And to my surprise, it turns out this is someone who had recruited many women for EO, was really active in bringing women into EO, but just didn't have that sort of sensitivity training that you would hope most men would have these days um, to understand that the impact of his words might make the women in the room feel not valued. Mm -hmm. But once I pointed out to him, to his credit again, at the closing remarks, which were just a couple days later, he brought forward the stats that we had talked about, that women were only 12% of EO, that we needed to change that. He invited some women up, entrepreneurs up on stage to tell their stories and really sort of made good. And for me, that experience was, in a nutshell, what's happening right now in all echelons of leadership for women. Because there's a lot of good intention, and yet there's still a lot of floundering about and a lot of not treating women like they really should be at the leadership table. And we have to speak up and say when it's not okay and what can be done differently. And so that's something I'm really trying to take an active role in and hope other women will do the same. Another thing she hopes more women will do is try to raise money to fund their companies. The statistics on this are pretty stark. Women founders get less than 20% of angel investments and much less when it comes to venture capital funding. Now, an angel investor is a person of means who invests their own money in your company, expecting a return. And venture capital comes from a firm of investors. It's the hardest type of funding to get. But why do women get so little of it? I think women are not moving in circles right now where they have as easy access to growth capital as men do. Um, men tend to know other people who work in the finance industry. They tend to have social circles where they know someone who has raised angel money or raised venture money or has access somehow to that circle. Speaking of old boys clubs, you know, venture capital especially, which is the highest high growth money, that's kind of the hardest money to get in the food chain of fundraising, um, only 4% of venture capital was being invested in women-run companies when I went out to raise venture capital a couple of years ago. That number has now climbed to maybe 7%, but these are still very low numbers. And that really is sort of an old boys club that is bit by bit breaking up but has not yet broken up. Mm -hmm. So I think it's partly access and then it's partly mindset. The mindset you need to have, she says, it's an ambitious one. Think big about your business. If you can't paint that vision, first for yourself, right? You have to believe it for yourself and then help others see it and buy into it, then you can't raise money. Even though Julia was ultimately successful, even though she used to raise money for nonprofits, raising her first round of funding for Little Pim was hard. She thought afterwards there has to be an easier way to do this. So she started an organization called Double Digit Academy. It trains women entrepreneurs who want to grow their companies, how to navigate the heavily male world of venture capitalists, how to speak their language, how to present, how to take rejection time and time again. She says she's seen her sons on their sports teams being coached in how to fall down and get up again. 
But in the US, teenage girls give up sports at twice the rate boys do. And so many women founders don't have that built-in resilience when they go out to pitch their companies. All of which made me think about me. Not just my own lack of resilience, but all that stuff she talked about earlier. How you have to delegate if you're going to be successful. How you have to bring on other people for the good of the company. Well, I'm an entrepreneur too. This show takes up a lot of my time and I love it. But I often feel it's not getting the attention it deserves. I'm just, I'm torn in 15 different directions because I can never really be completely focused and do the things that I should be doing, which is trying to find mentors. And I'd love to have like a little board of people who I could say, look, what should I do next? And I'm not doing any of that because I'm so busy doing stories for this and that person, trying to bring in some money as, as well as the sheer labor intensiveness of creating audio. I, I, I'm, anyway, I'm just one of these people who feels intimidated by not being a business person. Well, I, that really resonates with me. And when I started Little Pim, I had all those same feelings of how am I ever going to put this all together? But at the same time, I looked around at people who ran successful businesses and thought, well, they're not smarter than I am. Like, why don't I just figure out whatever they figured out? And one thing I saw them all doing was joining professional organizations. And I do think women need to join more professional organizations because it, it gives you a built-in professional development infrastructure and a community of other people doing what you're trying to do. But I also think that stepping outside of your comfort zone is really, really hard. I did not want to raise venture capital at all, but I did want to have a big successful business. And when I got to the place where I realized the only way to get from here to there is to raise venture capital. I'm going to have to go pitch to all those guys in suits. As much as I don't want to do it, I have to do it. And by the way, I'm the only one who can do it. I have outsourced sales. I've outsourced you know, marketing. I found all these great people to do these other roles in my company. but the CEO has to be the one to raise the money. And if you have the vision and you have the dream, why not go for it? So I really pushed myself to overcome some of these self-limiting thoughts I had about what I could or could not be in the world and to stop thinking of myself as, oh, I'm just a creative person who doesn't understand business. I tried to think, you know what? I'm a smart person who used to be full-time creative. Now I'm learning to be a business person. I'll figure it out. And lo and behold, that's what everybody else is doing. Before we finish talking, I brought up one last thing. I was reminded of it when Julia talked about watching her sons play sports and build confidence. I've been reading a memoir by the New York Senator Kirsten Gillibrand. And there's this bit at the beginning of the book where she talks about her little boys were running along and the little one was only two. Her husband was saying, oh, let's, you know, let's go to this monument or whatever. And the little boy said, we can do it because we're men. And she thought, where did that come from? You know, she's like, I didn't teach him that. But this was her her making the point that it's just in the air for guys. They have this innate confidence that most of us do not. That's so true. And I see that with my sons, too. I mean, I was a women's studies minor at college. You know, I've always been a feminist and I've taught them obviously to have respect for you know women and everyone and and yet these things come out of their mouth every so often where it's like oh well he was like a girl you know or running like a girl or things like that that you just it's just in the culture and so that's also where I think we have to be kind to men in a way because when you are in the majority and you are sort of the the privileged one you rarely get training in sensitivity and how to help bring others into the loop and look we're all guilty of it I'm a white woman I'm sure that I do and say things that have offended women of color and I I have to own that because I have this privileged position of never having to experience my skin color as being the first way that someone interacts with me and I know from my friends who 
are of color, that that's not the way they experience the world. So I try to think about that when I ever feel frustrated with men, that they're not more accommodating of bringing women into their world. A lot of times they just haven't been trained in it. She's willing to cut them some slack. For my next guest, her skin color is the filter through which people perceive her. Oh, we could have a whole show on this. We'll have part of a show. Stay tuned. Denise Barreto lives about 40 miles from Chicago. She's a marketer by trade, and for a long time, she had no thoughts of starting her own business. I grew up in a household with like a retail worker and a mechanic. I mean, when you talk about a mechanic or you talk about a retail person, you know, that's, those are jobs that are very prescriptive, right? People tell you what to do. You know, my dad never said to me, you know, Denise, you're really good at this. You should do this. I mean, that just didn't happen. She says she only really caught on to that whole idea when she got to college. She spent years in marketing roles for some really big companies. Then she went out on her own four years ago. She owns a consultancy called Relationships Matter Now. It does strategic planning and marketing. She's thrilled to be doing her own thing, but sometimes she thinks back to what she might have achieved. I always say this, and I one of these days Mark Zuckerberg is going to hit me, but I 100% believe that if I grew up in a household where I was told to do what I was good at and, and go after my talents, I would have created Facebook or something even better than that. After all, she says she's in her 40s now and she's given birth to this business. She already has two kids, they're 9 and 13, and a husband. It's a lot. She's happy with her life now. She's not complaining. But she thinks too many women have a restricted view of the world. The sooner that we can get girls, especially, and minority girls, too, get them seen and understanding that there are choices. There are many, many things in this world that they can do. Like Julia, Denise has a lot of energy, even if she jokes about leaving a few brain cells behind with her 20s and 30s. But her business is much more typical of the type of business women start. It's a services business, and she hasn't tried to raise funding of any kind. She bootstrapped to begin with. She used her own savings, her credit card, and she went after clients. Hard. She now has three employees, and the pressure is on to keep doing well. Her husband is a labourer, and he doesn't have a degree. I absolutely have always been the main wage earner, which, by the way, was part of the fear factor of actually going out there and doing my business. Think about that. When you are the six-figure backbone er, you know, wage earner of your family, this idea of going and starting something from nothing is very, very, very scary. And there's been plenty more to contend with to make this work. It's perseverance. I mean, there's so many things it takes to be a business owner and not to mention the business acumen. Like, I'll tell you right now, the one thing I started with, because I'm type A and I was like, I'm going to run my business. I mean, eight months in, I, you know, right away hired an accountant, even though I didn't have very much money because I was like, I have to hire somebody to do the things I'm not good at. She'd handled $50 million budgets in her old job, but she found doing her own books just was not the same. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. 
Let's get this dinner party started. Now, when she and I first spoke, we talked about this thing you hear about all the time in the job world, and specifically the world of entrepreneurship, passion. You've got to be passionate about what you do. It's the key to success. See, I love I love the advice we get about passion, but the thing about it is, is it's flawed. It's flawed because passion alone can't do it. I mean, passion is great fuel. And trust me, I have lots of passion. You probably can hear it through through the phone. But 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 at the end of the day, it's talent that actually pays the bills. So so the story I often like to tell is I love baking. I'm very passionate about baking. But Ashley, my stuff is ugly. The icing never seems to go on the cupcakes quite right. The cookies are always deformed. A cake will lean like the Tower of Pisa. So as passionate as I am about baking, and I am very, very, very passionate about it, I could not make a living baking. So she sticks to marketing. She thinks too many first-time entrepreneurs make this mistake of wanting to do something they love without backing it up with enough ability. Denise is an avid networker, and she's someone who keeps in touch with lots of people she's worked with in the past. That's what's brought her most of her current clients. She says women have to get out there and meet people face-to-face as much as possible. She's pleased with her progress so far. Next year, she's aiming to bring in half a million dollars in revenue. I asked if her parents are still around and what they think of her achievements. I have my dad. My mom, unfortunately, passed away very early in my life. I think part that's probably one of the reasons I'm the crazy that I am. But um, my dad is so proud. He is approaching 80 and he lives, he's retired to a small community down in Alabama where he's from. And it took him a while, though. I'm not going to lie. He did not start off um, a fan of me being my own boss. He very much was like, why are you going to leave your job? And and he was, you know, he was very concerned if I could make enough money and, and if people People, you know, thought I was as great as I thought I was. And and you have to think my dad is, you know, black man from the South where, you know, about 80 percent of his life he was spent telling he was less than everybody around him. So it was a big shift for my dad to even understand why I would work for myself and a big shift for him to understand that people were accepting me and people were buying from me. Still, she's not saying it's always straightforward part of her dreads walking into a room full of people to make new business contacts. She says so many people have a negative image of black women. They have the image they get on the media, right? Like Real Housewives of Atlanta, which I don't watch, or Scandal. or And, and I mean, I... I <laughs> oh, we could have a whole show on this. I literally believe that there is a one-dimensional story about black women out there. And, and I believe that living the life that I live, I'm helping to paint other pictures and give other, other views and other images, you know? And people often say to me, you know, well, I don't see you as black or whatever. And I'm like, how in the world can you say that with this huge Afro on my head? Right? Like you can definitely see that I'm black, but, but it's not, it's, and it's not that I don't want, you know, I guess what I'm saying is I think what those people are trying to say is that, you know, I just like you, Denise, and I just enjoy, you know, doing business with you or or hanging out with you or whatever. And what they don't understand is, by saying that you don't see me as black means that, you know, you're only seeing what you see on TV or what you're seeing in a movie. And I and I think you need to see me as black because I'm one of many different stories of, you know, black women in this country and in this world. She plans to keep going to events and keep doing speaking engagements to build her business. 
That's the broad experience for this time. You can find out more information about female entrepreneurship in general and today's guests at thebroadexperience.com. One of the things you can read about there is female entrepreneurs and crowdfunding. Although women raise far less than men through traditional investors, when it comes to crowdfunding sites like Kickstarter, women are more successful than men. But the reasons for that are a mixed bag. If you're not already a subscriber to the show, please subscribe over on iTunes. And while you're there, I would love it if you could write a review. All this stuff helps the show get noticed by more people. And thanks so much to those of you who are backing the show with donations. I really appreciate it. You can also support my work here at The Broad Experience by going to my sponsor's website and checking out their offer at foreignaffairs.com forward slash broad. That's foreignaffairs.com slash broad broad. Thanks to April Leslie for her help with this episode. And if there's a topic you'd like me to consider covering on the show, let me know. You can find me at ashley at thebroadexperience.com. I'm Ashley Milne-Tite. Thanks for listening. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm-hmm. 